The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Later that summer, actually, he took a trip to China for the summer and was involved in missions work there, but I was so clueless, I didn't really know what was going on, and he wrote me a letter that summer that was very vague, that talked about everything except what they were actually doing. And he spent a lot of time explaining how happy they were to be able to go and eat at Pizza Hut. And I was so clueless. I read this letter and I thought, what in the world is this guy doing in China? We have Pizza Hut here. I did not get it. I was clueless, but he was committed. And a couple years passed, our relationship grew, and he and his wife then were in China again for a much longer period of time. And a mutual friend of ours, another student my age, went in a summer then to work with him where he was. And this student friend of ours ended up not being very fond of the crowded and polluted mega city they were working in. And so one day he asked my friend, do you and your wife actually like it here? And my friend's response and if you're Chinese, forgive me, this is what he actually said. He said, nobody comes to China because they like it here. We come to China because we have a job to do. In other words, our lives are not supposed to be about us, about what we like, about what makes us feel good and comfortable. No, we have higher priorities than that. Our lives are not supposed to be about us primarily. We have higher priorities than that. There is a higher calling on our lives now. There is a walking that is suitable for us, given what has happened to us. We've been looking at that suitable, that worthy walking in the book of Ephesians for several weeks now. Well, this morning, in preparation for something that I'm going to talk about a little bit at the end of the sermon... This morning, in hopes of preparing our hearts for that, we're taking a detour out of the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to the book of Jonah this morning and talk about another aspect of worthy walking. Now, perhaps you've heard me preach from Jonah before, and if you have, let me encourage you to not tune out, but to stay with us here. I am confident that the Lord will speak to you again this morning. It is still his word. If everybody can turn with me to the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is one of the minor prophets of Israel called Minor because the book that bears his name is only two pages long. It's small, makes it hard to find. It's probably about 15 pages from the end of your Old Testament. There are a lot of minor prophets there, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, about 15 pages from the end. I'll begin reading from the English Standard Version in verse 1 of chapter 4. So Jonah, chapter 4. Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Let me stop there for just a moment. The book of Jonah is probably pretty familiar to us, if for no other reason than it has a really big fish in it, which makes it easy to remember. But because we are beginning in chapter 4, it would be helpful to review a little bit of the context. When the text says, it displeased Jonah in verse 1, and then 
Is not this what I said in verse 2? The it and the this are actually back in chapter 3. Specifically what it's referring to, what Jonah's talking about, is his brief Nineveh preaching campaign and its dramatic results. Chapter 3 we read that he entered Nineveh, he no sooner started to preach, and things started to happen. He mentioned God's pending judgment and he was very well received. Amazingly, astoundingly well received. Everybody, from the least of them to the greatest, including the king, believed God and turned from their wickedness in repentance, in hope of mercy, and the sovereign God who was behind it all saw that, forgave their sins. Remarkable revival breaks out in formerly wicked Nineveh. What a marvelous work of God. But Jonah regards all of this as exceedingly displeasing. In fact, he regards it as evil and he is furious. He had anticipated it all along and that's why he didn't want any part of it. The mention of Tarshish and when he was back in his homeland throws us back to chapter 1. When Jonah was first called by the Lord, the Lord said to Jonah in chapter 1, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah says, No. And he turns and flees the other way to Tarshish. Well, God is quite capable of dealing with that. He redirects his steps, and by chapter 2, Jonah's in the belly of a great big fish, realizing God's sovereign control over all of the events of his life. And now he is at least outwardly willing to go to Nineveh. So in chapter 3, when God issues the same call again, this time Jonah obeys, goes to Nineveh, begins to preach, the expected revival breaks out, and it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Follow along with me now as I begin to read again in verse 2, chapter 4. 4-2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But then dawn came up the next day, and God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he may, might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? 
The word of the Lord. Jonah and God are engaged, are they not? What a powerful chapter. And there are some important things for us to learn here in this chapter. God has preserved this conversation that it might be a tool, a means towards a glorious end. My hope and my prayer is that this morning God will use this text. He will use it in you to grow in you concern for lost people to sever you from the love of yourself and to freshly free you for the glorious global service of His name. It's my hope this morning. That's the end of Jonah chapter 4. That would be worthy walking to come out of this chapter here. You would think and act like God does towards lost people. Let me put that in a sentence then. Here's the main point from this. God is passionately committed to spreading His glory among all peoples, we must be too. God is passionately committed to spreading His glory among all peoples, to every nation, in every people, in every language, in every tribe, to the very ends of the earth, to the far reaches of this valley, and right next door to you. God is passionately committed to that. To seeing His glory spread, that is the knowledge of His marvelous and magnificent nature, go out far and wide and be seen and received and embraced by people and treasured by them above all other things on earth. That's what God is about. We must be too. God is passionately committed to spreading His glory among all peoples. So must we be. I draw this from two main interconnected points in this text. And they are potentially heart-reviving, mind-renewing. We'll take them out of Jonah 4, and then in the end we'll see how they weave back together. Talk about this, this that God is so passionate for. But before we get to those two points, we need to be sure that we clearly understand what's going on in the text. So we're going to walk through it again briefly. Let's start in verses 1 to 4. Don't miss the emotion there. I tried to read it so that you would get it. Jonah is livid. What has just happened has deeply upset him. In fact, literally he regards it as evil. You are a righteous and just God. You are not supposed to forgive people like these pagans. They are your and our enemies. And they have caused untold misery here on the earth. They deserve your judgment just like I told them. But I know what you'll say. Yes, I've read the book of Exodus. I know you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I just knew you would act that way towards them. I cannot tolerate this. This is drastically wrong, forgiving the wicked, pardoning the unjust. If this is the kind of work you're going to force me into, I'd rather be dead. He's angry. And the Lord asks Jonah a question. Are you in the right being so angry? I mean, stop and think about it, Jonah, while you rage against me, accuse me of evil. Tell me how to govern my world. Are you justified in your attitude towards my pardoning the wicked? Are you? Now, the narration moves on and just leaves that question hanging there. But we all know the answer. No, he's not. What kind of servant chastises his master 
presumed to tell him how to conduct his affairs? What kind of servant tells his master what is and is not an acceptable assignment? What kind of sinner saved by grace is in any position whatsoever to determine which other sinners can be saved by grace? Something is drastically wrong with Jonah's thinking here. He's not thinking like God does. And God is not going to leave him alone in this state. If you think about this, chapter 4 is the pinnacle of the book of Jonah. It's the point of the book of Jonah. And it's not really about Nineveh. That's over in chapter 3. It's about Jonah and about us. It's about aligning Jonah. Verses 5 to 9, God creates. He deliberately creates a teaching opportunity, if you will. Jonah's left the city and built a little structure there for himself from which he can watch events unfold. I don't know what he's thinking. Perhaps he's thinking that this is all a big fake and it's going to show up tomorrow and God's actually then going to judge him and I'm going to have a front row seat for it. Perhaps he thinks God will wise up. I'm not sure what he thinks, but he's clearly done with Nineveh. He's withdrawn from it. He's not talking to Nineveh anymore and he's just sitting back to watch. He's done. But God's not done. He's very active. Notice the word appointed. The NIV translates it provided. It's in verses 6, 7, and 8. First, he appoints a miraculously fast-growing plant in order to relieve Jonah's discomfort from the hot sun. Now remember, Jonah had already built a little, little shelter there, so he already had a little bit of shade. But undoubtedly, the plant grows up and gives him even more shade, and he says, in his heart probably, now that's what I'm talking about. That's how the mercy of God is supposed to work. And that's for whom it is supposed to work. The very next day, the Lord appoints a worm that destroys the plant. And then as the sun rises, God appoints a hot east wind. The sun beats down, the wind blows. Jonah's scratch-built hut is of no help. His shade plant is gone. He's lightheaded, he's miserable in the heat, and he is again furious. Again, he's angry enough at his circumstances and the God who appointed them that he just wants to die. And again, God asks him a question. Are you right to be so angry about your own discomfort? About that shade plant that I gave and I took away? And this time Jonah does have an answer. Yes, I'm right to be so angry, angry enough to die. And that response brings us to the key verses of this chapter and of the whole book. God picks up on Jonah's attitude and he draws a comparison between Jonah and himself. Verse 10. You didn't have anything to do with that plant. You didn't make it, care for it. You didn't even expect it, and you sure weren't promised it. Yet you are deeply concerned at its destruction. Now, shouldn't I feel the same way about that great city of Nineveh right over there? Nineveh is filled with living and breathing people. Their mothers and fathers didn't make them. I did. And I made them in my own image. They resemble me. Furthermore, their farmers and fishermen don't provide for them. I do. From the day of their birth, I have fed them and clothed them with my general grace. That's how I, I'm interacting with them. Yes, I know Jonah. They have turned away from me. They've scorned my name. I'm well aware of that. 
But their willful, sinful disobedience is also influenced by a great deceiver who has taken them captive to do his will. They don't even know their right hand from their left. They are ignorant of great and majestic truths about me, truths that I have revealed to you by grace, not by any of your works. No one's got any right to boast here. May I not decide to act in that same grace to bring them to their senses, to open their eyes, to remove this ignorance if I so choose? What about the rest of my creatures there, the multitudes of cattle, for instance? Should I just indiscriminately destroy all of them? And that's where the text ends. It's the book of the Bible that ends on a tremendous rhetorical question, begging to be answered, begging to be looked at. That's what leads us to the first of our two interconnected points. It's the first one. God has concern for lost people. So must we. God has concern for deep concern, pity for lost people, and so must we. This point is just plain as day in this passage, particularly in verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city full of lost people? What do you think, Jonah? Do you think it's right for me to be so concerned in this way? The correct answer is obvious. Yes, of course you are right to be so concerned. Verse 2 really is true. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Relenting from disaster. God declared this of himself to Moses. Jonah knew it. But the reason that this is such a stunning conclusion to the book is that we've just been reading that Jonah doesn't really know it. Neither do we. So often we're just like Jonah. Oh, we consider proper theology, of course. God has concern for lost people. We're evangelicals for crying out loud. We get it. But we don't really get it. That's why the book of Jonah is in the Bible to tell us and keep telling us because we don't really get it, but we must. May God give grace to us this morning to grow us in this area. Think about verse 10 for just a minute. Jonah neither made nor nourished that which he pitied. But God is the creator and sustainer of all things, Ninevites and especially all people. They are his creatures. And so he has concern And then verse 11 adds in their ignorance. God looks at their lostness and he sees their ignorance also and he sees their whole condition and he has pity on them. God remembers the garden of Genesis where his universe and his plants and his animals were wonderful and good. Everything was good. And then he made the people. Male and female, he created them. And he made them in his own image. And he breathed into them the breath of life. And then all of the creation was very good indeed. He remembers Eden, where people were his crowning achievement. And his command was to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill all of the creation with people who would be a praise to his glory. People from the very beginning have been precious to God. More precious than plans and programs and principles. More than balanced budgets and fiscal responsibility and order and structure. God never says, look at the people. Oh, that'd be pretty expensive. Or look at the people. 
that'd be kind of confusing and frankly pretty inconvenient. No! God's heart is huge for people because he made them in his image and he cares for them. Now, I am quite aware that in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereign control of all things, God has decided to not have saving concern for all people. It is obvious. Hell is real. The Bible talks about that repeatedly. Gives us some indication as to why that is. And as I've been preparing this sermon, I was constantly trying to work some of that in here so that you would hear it and you would know it and so that you would know that I know it. But it occurred to me that none of that stuff is in this text. This text is intended by God to highlight his concern for people and to urge similar concern on you. So look around you. Look to your left and to your right. Actually look at the woman who scanned your groceries at Albertsons. Look at the guy in the next cubicle. It's your neighbor, your boss, classmate. Look at any newspaper. Look at yesterday's newspaper. Hundreds of Egyptians killed in a ferry accident. Do you look and see people and do you pity them? Do you have deep concern for their physical and more than that, their spiritual condition? Do you see them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus did. Oh God, this is my prayer. God, give us sanctifying, heart-changing grace. Don't let us pity the plant and our own comfort more than we pity lost people. Pray that. God, give us eyes to see people. Jonah doesn't see them. And he doesn't see God. All that he sees is his own situation and his own comfort. Sometimes I wonder about us. You know, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. And I won't talk about your life, I'll talk about mine. If my life is a building, I see billowing out of all of the windows of this building. Smoke, huge columns of it. And I kind of wonder if there's a fire in there. Now, it's not all of the windows all of the time, which is the tricky part. See, I can sometimes convince myself if I look at a certain window at a certain time, oh, there's no smoke, there's no fire. I must not be internally focused on me. This must not be true of me. But my life taken as a whole reveals that I consistently internally burn with a passion for me. I spend my time and my money and I seek the comfort of me. And if you or God or anybody else crosses me, there's a good chance that I'm going to get angry. And if you are a human being here this morning, there is a great probability that you are a whole lot more like me and like Jonah than you should be. God wants to work on that in you. He wants to lift up our eyes and to pry them away from our self-focus and cause us to see a great God first, before we see the people, to see a great God who is worthy of worldwide praise and to know that that worldwide praise is the great benefit of those people and to love them and give them the thing they most need, Him. That's what He wants to work into you. Look around. Everywhere you look, 
You look at God's crowning achievement in his creation, people. But everywhere you look, you look at people who are wandering in darkness. For the God of this world has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. He's taken them captive to do his will. They live in ignorance as to the magnitude of the peril they are in. And they live in ignorance as to the solution to it. Everywhere you look, you look at eternal beings, people, people who have souls, who are made to commune with God and to reflect Him and who will live forever somewhere. And here's part of what makes Jonah furious. Wicked people are supposed to live forever in hell. And the Ninevites were wicked. And so are those who commit genocide in Rwanda and Cambodia. And so are those who persecute the church in China and Pakistan and Sudan. And so are those who campaign for homosexual rights. And those who murder the unborn for money and convenience. So are those who exploit the earth and hoard wealth and fly planes into skyscrapers and cheat on their taxes and cut other people off in traffic and on and on and on. And Jonah is angry and so are many of us towards people like that. We are furious at them and what they're about and what they're doing. God, do not see their great evil. Are you not holy and righteous and just? These are the sort of people you're supposed to judge, not deliver. But we and Jonah alike have forgotten the truth. And such were some of you before you were washed. Thank God that God has concern for lost people because God had concern for us. Thank God that He is a God like verse 2. Behold your God, O Israel. Behold the Creator of all the earth, you nations. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. This is His nature. And it meant something for formerly wicked people like us. And it means something for currently wicked people like Ninevites. It means there is hope. Now the text does not say that he never angers. It says he is slow to anger. He is angry with sin. Hell and judgment are real. But the point of this is that the nature of God is not eagerness to judgment. The God of the Bible is not eager to destroy people. He isn't. Even though they walk in rebellion against him, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord. So turn to me and live. This is the most critical message in all of the world. Turn to him and live. And if God wants that message to go to places like Nineveh, then God's concern for people must stretch to every corner of the globe Nineveh was not the most geographically distant city from Jerusalem, but it was about as far off as you could get in a lot of other ways. As the capital of the Assyrian Empire, it was a dominant political power over Israel and the source of much misery and pain. Nineveh, figuratively speaking, was about as far away from Mount Zion as you could get. But in sending them the prophet, God is sending us a message too. God's concern reaches to every nation, to every people, to every tribe, to every tongue. There is no group or land that is too far away. His concern reaches to the ends of the earth geographically and, figuratively speaking, culturally, religiously, politically. 
even if those folks live right next door. Figuratively and literally to the very ends of the earth, God's concern is global. Now, God has not chosen to save every person in every tribe and every nation, but his saving concern does touch every people group everywhere. To the uttermost parts of the earth, his view is global. It is all-encompassing, and so must ours be. His name must be heralded among the nations, and they must hear the message, turn to him and live. God is concerned for lost people. We must be equally concerned. But we must be more than just concerned. We must humbly serve them. And we must sacrificially give for them. And we must fervently pray for them. And we must boldly preach to them. And that takes us to the second of our two interconnected points. Be a little more brief here. We must serve and give and pray and preach because genuine concern leads to action. God does not, to paraphrase somebody that I once heard, God does not look at Nineveh, feel really bad, go home, sit down on the couch and turn on the television. He doesn't. He acts. His actions towards Nineveh, both towards them and involving Jonah, reveal that his concern is genuine. His action gives weight to it, proves the reality of his concern. He commands Jonah the prophet, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach. But Jonah rejects God and flees towards Tarshish. Well, he's bigger than that. And he begins to control events to redirect him. And notice he doesn't just scrap Jonah and say, Okay, well, that's over. Bill, you're up. He could have... But he's got two things going on. He wants to take a message to Jonah and he wants to take a message with Jonah to Nineveh and a message to Jonah. Both. He sticks with Jonah. He appoints a storm. He causes the sailors' random lot to fall on Jonah. He stops them from being able to roll back, row back to land. He sends a big fish to swallow him up. And then he tells the fish to spit him back on the land. And then he calls him again. And then he gives power to the message, causes repentance and forgiveness. And then he does all of this appointing in chapter 4 to work with Jonah. He is tremendously active throughout all of this. We could elaborate on that a little more. He's doing something here. He's bringing about deliverance to this people that he has concern on. Now how he picked Nineveh? At this time in history, I don't know. Things got bad again for Nineveh later. Things were bad for Nineveh before. I don't know why he picked right then. He's sovereign. He's wise. He does what he wants. But he wanted to take a message to them, to redeem them. By the end of chapter 4, nothing is more clear than that God has had pity on Nineveh and has therefore acted to save her and that God has concern for Jonah and therefore for us and has acted to teach Jonah a lesson as well. Nothing's more clear than that. That's right on the surface. God's genuine concern has led to this action towards Nineveh and towards Jonah. We could go further into that, but something else needs to be brought out that's not right on the surface. What's not right on the surface of this Old Testament book of Jonah needs to be revealed and made explicit. Just a second ago, when I was talking about God acting, 
all that action was concerning bringing the message, turn to me and live. I am a God who is slow to anger. I will forgive your sin to take that message to Nineveh and to convince Jonah that the message should go to Nineveh. But there's another thing. Where does the message come from? He's slow to anger, but he does anger over sin. And if he's got any message to preach at all, he's got to deal with sin. Because God has genuine concern for lost people, he has dealt with the biggest problem of lost people, the sin that separates them. Now we know, we, we've read the New Testament, we know how this works. To quote Matthew 12, we now know that one greater than Jonah has come. One who resembles Jonah but surpasses everything we see in him. Christ too was commissioned for the saving of many. But for the joy set before him, he willingly embraced his calling and its cost. He too spent three days in the heart of the earth, and when he rose up from the depths, he became the instrument of salvation for untold multitudes. But Jesus is more than the spokesman for salvation. He is the instrument of it. In him, God dealt with sin, atoning for it, and washing it away from those on whom he would have mercy. It is his ministry, the ministry of Jesus, that will once again stretch the glory of God over the whole of the earth as the waters cover the seas. This is God's greatest foundational concern. Before his concern for people comes the concern, comes his greatest passion, that his name be known. That's actually what people most need. His greatest passion is that His glory would be known and loved by them. And so this is God's majestic, eternal, global plan to act decisively to deal with the barrier to that great global glory of His and their great good. To deal with the sin barrier. Bringing people together from everywhere into one new man, Christ to have saving concern for men and women from every tongue and every tribe and every people and every nation from the uttermost parts of the earth. To have saving concern for them means that he comes and he goes to the cross. He acted because he was genuinely concerned to take all sorts of people and to show himself alone mighty to save and therefore oh so glorious to take people dwelling in darkness and to shine into them a great light. To send to them a great message of hope that comes from repentance and trust in this great God come in the flesh, Jesus. To display to the nations Jesus as the mighty Savior and the great King and to cause them to marvel at Him and to savor Him and to love Him above all things. God has acted to do that. This is the thing that he is doing. Delivering people to the praise of and obedience to the name of Jesus. This is God's great commission. And in all of his various facets, it is the greatest thing going. God is concerned to spread his glory among all peoples. He is genuinely concerned and therefore he has acted to create the message in the first place and then to bring it to people. His concern led to the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension 
and and the commissioning. Go therefore to all nations and tell them about this and I'll be with you. We must have this same genuine concern and it must lead to action. Flip it around or it is not genuine concern. We have got to get in the game. We must. I don't exactly know what getting in the game looks like for you. However, the elders have been thinking about this for some weeks now. We would like to present to you one very concrete opportunity. I'm preaching on the book of Jonah this morning in hopes of preparing your heart to take us up on this. There are a lot of different things you might do, a lot of different ways that God might want to involve you, but I pray that he's gripping your heart for lost people everywhere and motivating you to do something. Maybe you'll want to do this. We're going to begin a program of sorts. I hope it's not just the program of the day that by a month from now is gone and forgotten about. It's our intention that this would become part of our church. We're going to begin, there's a lot of details to talk about, I'm not going to cover them all this morning, but we're going to begin with prayer. Focused and particular prayer for particular people that you know your families, your workplaces, your neighborhoods. Next week in the bulletin, there's going to be a paper leaf on which we're going to ask you to write down the names of particular people that you want to pray for. Pray that God would open their eyes, that he convict them of sin. Pray that he would burden you with genuine concern for them. Pray that he'd give you opportunity to interact with them and eyes to see opportunities to interact with them. I've had two things happen in my life as I've been thinking about this. One where I took the opportunity and one where I didn't and afterwards wished I had. Pray that he would speak to you to take those opportunities. What we're going to do then is we're going to write those names in the leaves and next week there'll be some buckets up front. I'm not sure of all the details exactly, but you'll come forward at some point in the service and put those leaves in these buckets or barrels. And we're going to write those names on some small wooden leaves fasten them to some grapevines and have them in front of the church for a while so you can see this vine that we are hoping to be involved in building. I encourage you now to think about who should you write on that. Pray about it. Maybe God will tell you to pray for somebody that he intends to save. Be thinking. Be prepared for that for next week. God is concerned for people, and we must be too. And genuine concern leads to action. Put this together, and we have a God who pities lost people who are far away from him and will move heaven and earth and will even temporarily move from heaven to earth so as to accomplish reconciliation. And then he commissioned us with the responsibility and with the privilege to be involved in it as well. We must have the same genuine concern which then will lead to action. I'm going to close this sermon with some silent time of prayer for you before we move directly into communion. I want to ask you to just pray. Ask the Lord, what do you need to repent of? 
Who would he put on your heart to be praying for and involved with, sharing your life with, getting close to in a caring way? Think through some of those things, and then I'll close this time of prayer in a few minutes. Be just a few minutes, and we'll move directly into communion then after that. So go ahead and pray silently. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.